Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is a special edition of The Ruck, recorded live as part of the Virtual Rugby Show. Stuart Barnes is your host, and whilst wanting to bring you a festival feel, like all good festivals, not all of the team have managed to make it through the weekend. It feels like Glastonbury, doesn't it? I'm out here in the West Country, it's been pouring with rain, and here we are, day three, and the supergroup have been fragmented. Alex Lowe from The Times has disappeared. Stephen Jones from The Sunday Times was in the ether five minutes ago. We've lost him to some corner bar in Glastonbury. But at the moment, we do have the correspondent for The Times, Owen Slot, and we do have Lawrence Delalio, columnist for The Sunday Times, and of course, legendary player. Can I just start with you first, Lowe? How has the rugby festival been? It's been a very ambitious plan right from the start, from 73 Media and... Uh... And obviously, we're doing this uh, in association with my charity, Rugby Works, that works with disadvantaged young kids. We had an idea to have a live event in July. Coronavirus put, put an end to that very swiftly. So we decided maybe rather ambitiously to launch the, the virtual rugby show. But the, the response that we've had from everyone, including your good self, so thank you for taking the time to join us. But from everyone across all levels of rugby has been phenomenal. Bill Sweeney was uh, giving a keynote speech yesterday, Joe Marler. Had a wonderful interview with Alex Payne. I think it was Alex interviewing him, or maybe it would have Joe holding all the cards the other way around. But uh, we had some uh, three Lions captains, you know, Driscoll, Warburton and Johnson last night. Steve Granger from the RFU delivering a, uh, a wonderful uh, keynote on grassroots rugby. It's been phenomenal. It's like the rock going on the road, isn't it? We've lost a couple of our members. You're one of the key men there. Just to keep the musical analogy going, if... Glastonbury was on Slotty, and we all were there. If you could choose any group to see at Glastonbury, who would it be? Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I fell in love with Beyonce again when I watched her on the um, Glastonbury highlights on, uh, was that Friday night? Yeah, I watched, I watched yeah. Beyonce. And um, so I, I would, I think, you know, that's, that's probably too young for, uh, for most, of the, um, most of the correspondents on the ruck. I'm currently reading the Craig Brown biography of the Beatles, but I've just sort of been falling in love with, with them again. That's who I'm going with, the Beatles. That's kind of a, a rock-type uh, band, isn't it? 
Lawrence, give me someone a bit more contemporary. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I also fell in love with Beyonce again on Friday night, but unfortunately it was unrequited <laughs> love. So uh, I think if I had to choose one band to see live, I think it would be Muse. Do you know Muse? They're just a yeah, absolutely, yeah, they're just a fantastic band live, uh, and something the scale of Glastonbury needs needs a needs a proper live band like, like like Muse. I mean, I did understand that this was supposed to be the fiftieth anniversary of Glastonbury this year, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, um, they had some ama- there's some amazing lineups. I mean, rumor has it Pink Floyd. Oh, no, no, it was uh, Led Zeppelin rather. But beg your pardon, Pink be a bit, bit hard to do Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. So yeah, uh, there, w- there was going to be some amazing lineups, but uh, you know maybe uh, even more to look forward to next year. But my choice would be Muse, without a doubt, shadow of a doubt. Well, m- me and Jonesy, giving our age away, both of our acts would have been shielded: Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan. So if Bob Dylan can't make it out from the states for that one, I would definitely have chosen Lana Del Rey, who is absolutely splendid. Enough of rock and roll, anyway. Glastonbury. What about where we are now? Lawrence, an interesting one for you. The news that we, we've heard it bubbling away, but it's come through now and it's official. Your old mate, George Skivington of Wasps, is now going to yeah. be the uh, head coach at Gloucester. What sort of fit do you think that is? Well, I think it's a great appointment for Gloucester, for George in particular. He was making a lot of progress at London Irish, very well talked about both internally within the club but also externally as well. I think it's a great move for him. He's a young, hungry, ambitious rugby coach. I mean, clearly there's been a lot of movement at Gloucester in the last few weeks. Johan Ackerman has moved on to Japan. David Humphreys has moved on. And I suppose for the, for the cynical uh, people listening and watching around, and maybe even Gloucester fans, one might argue that, that they slashed an enormous amount of salary away from their wage bill. And they've replaced it with a with a young, ambitious, up and coming, and dare I say it, probably financially slightly more, um, slightly cheaper, cheaper deal. Really, that's not to belittle what George Givington has done in in his rugby career, but I think that's going to be a bit of a trend, maybe with certain clubs. I think the bringing in of the of these high named stars, both in the in the playing group and the coaching group, I think certainly in the next couple of years is a thing of the past. But um, no sooner had the news settled, Barnsley, than. Uh, the London Irish came out with their own statement saying yes. that, um, that there's been a bit, a bit of mischief at play and they're unhappy with the way George Skivington has been tapped up, so to speak, by Gloucester. Now, you guys, Arthur, I'm sure um, Alex Lowe would have a far better idea of what the rules and regulations are around making approaches to coaches. But um, certainly it would appear that uh, we haven't heard the last of that yet. And that's unfortunate, really, because I think it took the gloss off of what should have been a really good announcement for George Givington. Owen, I'll come to you in just a second. I know you want to make a speech. First of all, welcome to Alex. Alex, we don't need to ask him who he's going to see at Glastonbury because he's on the pyramid stage in three hours playing. <laughs> Looking very much like a drive-by truckers. Welcome belatedly, right. Alex. Uh, Thank you. you and Thank I were you. chatting before we went on air and you've been following this Givington London Irish Gloucester story. Yeah, so I, mean, I heard Lawrence saying just then that London Irish accused Gloucester of, of tapping him up. The, their email expressing surprise that Skivington was going to Gloucester came as a surprise to most of us who'd been talking for about three or four weeks that he was going to take over as their head coach. London Irish's issue is that they claim that Gloucester had to inform them in writing. Gloucester's counterclaim is that they had no idea that there, was any, there were any contractual constraints but sought clarification anyway from London Irish. None was forthcoming. So they announced it. And now, now London Irish are saying they'll consider all options under 
under Premiership regulations, which, as we've seen from a player perspective, Gloucester are now suing Sale over uh, Sale signing of, uh, of Van Rensburg uh, after he signed a contract with with Gloucester. So, uh, as Ron said, it's, it, it's pretty unseemly, um, and it's not definitely not the end of the saga. Gloucester is saying, "Come on, let's just let's just try and have an open conversation about this." But it, it, it appears that there has been a, a, a drop in communication at the very least between the two clubs. Owen, it doesn't get any more cheerful, does it? <laughs> Let's try and brighten that. I'm really interested in the appointment because it's a great leap of faith. It's pretty unusual for uh, a club to to pick out a, a comparatively inexperienced coach and give him the keys to the kingdom. So Gloucester of uh, either, as Lawrence suggested, saved some money uh, or, or, or both, at the same time put their balls on the line, really, and back this guy. What I think is interesting, I don't, I don't think we really know, but I suspect is is uh, when uh, the announcement was made, one of the first most glowing endorsements of the appointment came from Danny Cipriani, the Gloucester uh, 10, saying what a fantastic appointment it is. Now, Skivington and, and Cipriani go back to the old Wasp days, which Lawrence was a part of, and they were they were mates there. I just wondered to what extent Danny was consulted on the making of, of this appointment. We know how Danny operates. He wants to feel comfortable and, and happy with, with the coaching environment. So if you're appointing a coach, you, you want to make you want to make sure that he's happy with what you've got. So I wondered, just wondered to what extent um, to, he would have been consulted on that. Yeah, also, Lawrence, another thing, David Humphreys went not very long after Johan Ackerman. So they had no one. Suddenly they had, as you said, this inexperienced head coach. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a chat with my old mate, Richard Hill, the former England captain and scrum half, not the flanker. And he's coaching Division 2 in Rouen. And he was saying that he likes to be in control of everything, selection, coaching, and the development. But that has not been the way in England. It was your old club, really, Wasps, when they made their changes recently and, and Lee Blackett took over, who sort of broke the mould. Do you think a lot of it depends on the relationship between a head coach and the man who is running the whole ship? Well, I, I certainly, yeah, I don't know the, the full story, but the sense I got from the departure of Ackerman was that he felt that he didn't, he had no longer had the confidence in the ownership or the or the people in control of the club, and, and therefore he decided to move in a in a different direction. And as you said, the appointment of, of Lee Blackett was an interesting one because obviously Di Young had moved on after seven or eight very good years at the at Wasps Rugby Club. But when you when you look for a replacement, if if there isn't the quality of replacement out there, or the replacement that you're trying to find is just um, financially out of your bracket or or it's just not you know you're not making a better appointment than the one that you had before then you don't need to rush into making that 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 appointment but I do think as you said the circumstances around any appointment not just in sport but across businesses generally has changed you know Covid is 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 having a big impact on these rugby clubs Mm. and you know we can't get out we can't get away from the fact that they've probably just got rid of at least the thick end of £500,000 off their wage bill with, with two coaches leaving, if not more, and replaced it with a lot less. But um, I like Owen's point about the head coach of Gloucester giving a ringing endorsement to the new head coach coming into Gloucester because <laughs> Danny, Danny Cipriani, as we know, is uh, effectively an extra coach on the field. He likes to run the show. You know, they do have a good relationship. I, w- I was also equally as impressed with the endorsement given by Ed Slater, who is the uh, probably the most senior player in the in the Gloucester forwards group, and he's the player who uh, played under George Givington for a couple of years at uh, Leicester Tigers, 
So I, I think it's a good appointment. It, it's, uh, it's bold, it's brave, it's ambitious, and it's certainly uh, a long-term appointment. I hope that uh, there's nothing more than that to do with the appointment and, and, the, and the news coming out of London Irish. You get the sense there's a little bit of sour grapes there. Uh, and mm. this is where Premier Rugby as an organisation really do need to step in. We've already heard from, from Alex that Gloucester are, are threatening legal action against Sale. The boundaries need to be very clear. And if there has been a breach by any club, then, then the necessary punishments are given out. But uh, this is, a, I think, a matter where Premier Rugby have to step in and make sure that we don't have this rather sort of embarrassing infighting going on between clubs because, uh, you know, you've got tick-for-tat accusations appearing in the newspapers. The assumption there, Lawrence, is that Premier Rugby have got control over their clubs, which recent evidence uh, would suggest that they don't. Well, yes, exactly. But uh, they they do need to get a grip of it in the same way as the Premier League do seem to have a reasonable grip of uh, of, of of the Premier League clubs. If uh, if a manager or a player or a club steps out of line, then there's the appropriate sanctions in place. And I, I don't think that exists. I think it's, uh, it's very much uh, a different relationship that currently exists within rugby. Can we just agree that the nice element of, of this appointment is that in, in recent years, when a uh, club start decided to, to, to redraw and, and recruit a new coach, they invariably have looked abroad and you sort of sort of begun to wonder what's wrong with the English coaching system. They, they, they go to South Africa, they normally go to New Zealand first and, and to Australia. So I think it's fantastic. I like the fact that that, that, that mould has been broken. As Lawrence says, it's probably for financial reasons, but I like it anyway. It's fair to say there's there's an obvious reason why we do tend to go to New Zealand. They have been the sort of intellectual leaders. But Skibbington is an impressive young coach and he has done good things at London Irish. But I wonder, Alex, whether this is a sort of warning, a, a statement of intent for all players in that it's going to be a younger coach coming in. There's a little less money We've had all this discussion about player strikes and, and all the debates about the 25% cuts, 20% in Ireland, a substantial one in Australia. Players are saying we're going to hold back from this. I mean, is this the shape of things to come for the next two years, that relatively speaking, players are going to have to be realistic and settle for um, substantial cuts? Uh, unquestionably, Stuart. I mean, and, and in fact, Gloucester, of all clubs that have been the most vocal in in expressing how the new normal is so is going to be massively different and and much much uh, more contracted than, than than the old normal that that the money isn't there beyond covid the the money wasn't there anyway but those fault lines have been massively exposed now and and Lance Bradley the chief exec of of, of Gloucester has has probably been the most vocal of, of any owner in saying listen we get business is different from now on you know we can't afford huge contracts we can't afford glamour coaches with a proven track record. We're going to have to promote from our academy. We're going to have to give young coaches a chance. Those two elements are have to be positive for the English game because young coaches are going to be given more opportunities, young players more opportunities, but the established players are, are, are having to wake up to the new reality. And, and although new contracts were, were, were pushed through uh, when the salary cap was reduced in pretty controversial circumstances, some of them offering more uh, security, most of them offering, uh, bringing with them pay cuts. And that is the new reality of, of rugby. And when the England players come around to negotiate their new England pay deal, I think they'll find it substantially reduced from the package of 25 grand a game that was on, on the table previously, because the world is different and rugby is massively different. And if it's going to survive, then, then savings are going to be made. And Gloucester are, 
are, are a prime example now of what has to be done in order to, to keep the, the club afloat. Mm. Lawrence, can I, can I ask you, is it also an indictment, perhaps, of 29 years of professionalism in the sense that we went into it very optimistic. We've always, to a certain extent, overpaid the players because of the perception of, of where this game could go. And this is a, a horrible reality check that paradoxically may help the clubs as long as they survive the next year or two. I think the model was never quite right in the first place. When the game went professional, you've got this kind of very strange situation across the world where some of the players are contracted to their unions, namely in the likes of New Zealand, etc., Ireland, Wales. And then you've got other countries like England and France where the players are contracted to their, to their clubs. And that's created a, a, a slightly distorted market. Obviously, each, each country's tried to find a system that works best to, to maintain a strong domestic competition, a, a powerful presence in Europe, and then ultimately a, a very strong international playing team. But um, I, I think in the last few years, particularly, and, and certainly if anything that I've read in the Miners report would highlight the fact that there's been a substantial rise in the last few years of, of, of player wages in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the UK and particularly in the Premiership right across the board. And, uh, you know, when you look at, at the, that versus the money that's coming into the game, whether that be through um, TV rights or, or through other revenues, teams are, are definitely living way beyond their means. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a reset, is it? Reset, Price, isn't to it? find a, yeah. a playing structure. And I know you guys are very much in favour of, of, of quality over quantity, but also a financial structure that it, can, uh, that it can adopt and live by. And, you know, when you look at England players and they play £25,000 per game, when you compare that to what every other player is, uh, at test level is played around the world, it's, um, it's substantially higher. So have they been paid too much or, uh, or, or have the, West, the rest of the, the world not been paying enough? Uh, I think it's probably the former rather than the latter. Owen, it's a big question, isn't it? Because World Rugby keep using this liberal phrase, growth, at all times. Should rugby actually be thinking about growth, even if we weren't going through COVID-19? Should it be thinking about solidifying, restructuring themselves and then starting again? I, I don't see why it has to be one or the other, actually, Barnsley. Why can't you make the core stronger yet still try and fertilise the foundling seeds elsewhere. I, I, I don't think it has, has to be one, one or the other. Anyone who read Steve's piece in the Sunday Times today will know he was fairly uh, savage in his comments about world rugby, thinking they're not really fit for purpose almost. I don't know if you read it or not, Lawrence. I mean, Steve's view was very much, I don't want to take the words out of the great man's mouth, that at the moment, the driver of the international game isn't sufficiently good enough to take us to the right places. Yeah, I mean, I, I did read it. I'm sort of digesting it now. I mean, it's interesting because if you, if anyone heard Bill Sweeney's keynote address yesterday on the mm. uh, on, on the virtual rugby show, he sort of brought us up to date as much as he possibly could with the with the negotiations that are taking place. And you know, whilst he he said that they, they weren't anywhere close to reaching a final agreement, they were certainly a lot further ahead than they've ever been in terms of trying to find this this wonderful alignment of the global season. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings around summer rugby. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't assuming that world rugby were all championing to to suddenly start playing rugby in July and August. 
there is no doubt that if you look at all the structures um, across all the countries that play rugby in the northern and southern hemisphere, I don't think any of them are fit for purpose. Quite frankly, you know that you could. There's pros and cons of Super Rugby at the moment. The French have got this crazy system where they want to play each other home and away 26 times in the season. Add another game, you know, European games. I mean, you know, you've barely got time for any other sport in your calendar. And and then you've got the problems with the with the, with the Gallagher Premiership and an international window. So I don't think any any country has actually ever got it right right from the start of professional rugby way back in 1995. And all that Bill Sweeney was saying was that this probably has represented an opportunity for the first time ever to try and get some sort of agreement. And uh, believe it or not, they are they are past that first stage of agreement. And I think the next stage and probably the most critical one will be um, the conversations that they now have with two of their biggest stakeholders, which is the English Premiership clubs and the uh, and the French top 14 clubs as well. And if they can get past that hurdle and obviously all the various things that need to be overcome there, then who knows what, what we might have. But I, I don't see us suddenly shifting to summer rugby. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that, that would be a big mistake. But what I do see is possibly, uh, you know, international windows being condensed from, from three down to two. And if you're a fan of, a, of, a, of an English or a French or, or any rugby club around the world, you might have some sort of clarity as to when your competitions and your structures are going to be played. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Stig Abel. I'm Asma Mir, and you can hear our breakfast programme on Times Radio. Join us as we talk to special guests about everything you need to know for the day ahead. Listen to our morning show for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker at times.radio and via our Times Radio app. Every Monday to Thursday, 6am to 10am on Times Radio. Know your times. Alex, I think we've all talked and heard and know quite a lot about the, the, the debate about the global season. But what about lots talking about maybe England are getting a little bit closer. But can England and France really describe themselves as a legitimate professional body covering the game if there's not one single vote for the French professional clubs and there's not one for the English? 
that Bill Sweeney is speaking on their behalf. I don't see how that can ever work. We, we saw the San Francisco meeting a few years ago, which was the last time everyone sat around the, the table to thrash out a global season. The Lions weren't present on their own because they had representatives in the room. But those representatives were wearing their union hats, not lion hats. And suddenly the Lions tour gets condensed and they, they're an afterthought. I don't see how the RFU can sit around a table debating a global season that they want and accurately represent the views of the clubs. I, I, I do feel that to move forward, the French and the, and the English unions need to bring a club representative to the table permanently because apart from anything else, the anger that the clubs are showing at the moment is, is because they feel they've been locked out of, of, of the formulation of this new global season. If we're to get any, any clarification on what's going to happen in the future, any agreement, any compromise, then they're going to have to be involved because they have the contracts of the players. And, and ultimately, it's, it's, it's an, as we've had since 95, since before the game went pro, I was doing, did a piece last week on, on the breakaway threat then. It was a wrangle over who owns the players. And that's ultimately what we have now. Both the unions and the clubs want control of the players. And the only way to, to, to move on is uh, a compromise. And therefore, one of those three votes really should go to the club bodies. Otherwise, you, you never get any progress. I, I remember um, when Clive Woodward walked out of England, and I recall it, Owen, Clive used the word compromise like it was something filthy in his mouth. That compromise with the clubs, we're going to get absolutely nowhere. There's always been a core view in England that rugby is about test team and the rest comes. There's always been a view that the clubs have felt we have taken on the burden, largely financially, of developing and, and paying the players. Do you see us having made any progress in, in what, for me, has felt like a, a simmering 30 years, not a civil war, but always on the brink of it? Is it just all moving just too slowly? Yes, it moves us. It moves slower than a snail's pace. We don't. We 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 had this conversation last year and the year before that, and COVID and everything has has hopefully accelerated. That's what we're saying. Maybe we'll we'll move it forward a bit. Yes, rugby players over the last two and a half decades, a lot of the funding for rugby in England has come out of the pockets of the clubs, and you can't deny that. And the club owners, they've got the skin in the game they 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 deserve a say in it and it's not should it be international rugby or, or club rugby it's if you want to if you want to have a, a decent big market or sport it's got to be both you've got to have a successful club game and Bill Sweeney keeps on saying and we need to we need to take the battle to other sports and taking fans and tv viewers away from other sports whereas at the moment we're just fighting ourselves Interesting point there, Lawrence, talking about our own fans, watching our own game. I don't know, have you seen any of the New Zealand... Aotearoa, I should know that. Aotearoa, <laughs> have you seen any of their championship stuff? Uh, and I ask you, because I write in a piece tomorrow for The Times, and I've done something, I've written something I never thought I'd say, which is, I don't any longer think rugby is about winning at all costs. I think it is the priority, but I think that at all costs has done some real damage to the game, especially in Europe, in the way, and I use a phrase, players have just destroyed the breakdown. They have killed it. Referees have been made fools. And I said near the end of the piece, it just takes your mind to 
Players used to be regarded as heroes. If they put their bodies on the line, two metres from the try line, they go over the top, they get an awful kick in, but the other team don't get the ball. They are the heroes. And the only vision I had was of you, time and time again, getting yourself <laughs> in that slightly offside position, Lawrence, getting the kick in, getting away with it. Are New Zealand right? Is, is their attempt to make the interpretation at the breakdown so pure, one, that the game will be better for it? Look, players in any generation will, will push the game to the limit, depending on the laws that they're, they're asked to play to. If the laws are much more positive and, and encourage you to play in a slightly different way and a faster way and a more fluid way, then, you know, you've got to lose a few pounds, you've got to get fitter and you've got to, you know, you've got to move with the times. If the breakdown is, is, is refereed or the laws are allowing you to play in a certain way and, and the referee reinforces those laws to a certain degree, then you'll, you'll push them to the limit. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess I, I'm, I'm in a position where I've sort of spanned a few different, different law interpretations across the, mm. uh, across the game. You know, I, when I first started playing, you know, rucking was a big thing in the game. And if you lay on the wrong side, you, you ended up um, pretty sore after the match. Then, then the game moved towards, towards a much more defensive way of, of, of uh, being able to manage the breakdown where you could definitely slow ball down uh, as much as possible. And I was, uh, you know, I, I was taught by, by the very best at how to do that. But I think now there's been a real push towards, towards speeding up the breakdown. And I have seen the new, the, the new games in New Zealand. I think they've been fantastic games of rugby. I'm still trying to, to get to grips with whether they're fantastic because the skill level is just a lot higher, particularly in the forwards in terms of their footballing ability. The backs have always been fairly evenly matched, but maybe their footwork in New Zealand tends to be very strong. But whether the, the skill level of the forwards, I think has always stood out over there for me. So I, I've been really impressed with those, but I'm not sure whether it's just a skill level thing or whether it's the fact that the, the, the breakdown has been moved towards a really positive way of playing. But uh, I think that's the future. I think that's the way forward. You know, does it mean that we're going to see a, a shift in, in, in the way that rugby's played, well, I saw a, a desire to play more from 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 the twenty from your own twenty two to the ten meter line, which I think is a good thing. I saw less reset scrums than I've seen for a while, and I saw less box kicks than I've seen for a while. But interestingly, I saw more drop goals in the last few weeks in New Zealand than I've seen in the last ten years in New Zealand. So, so I think that they are that they're using it as a way of learning how to play international rugby. And what I've seen so far. I have to say, I really like it. And my hope is that for the English clubs, particularly, you know, having had a few weeks to watch how referees are playing the game, how players are playing the game, that we can, uh, we can really hit the ground running, so to speak, and we can benefit from those law changes. Owen, we do have an advantage. It's, I hate to say it, it's a little bit like coronavirus. It was all happening in the continent and, and we didn't seem to do anything. We just looked at it. We had three weeks in New Zealand where they're playing a far purer interpretation at the breakdown. And in Paul Williams, they've got a referee who is not saying to the players, move your hand, quickly release the ball. He pings you if you don't do it quickly. Is this what we're going to see? A game where referees are going to have to call it according to the laws? Because World Rugby have said they want that. New Zealand have jumped the gun and they're doing that. Is this a speedier game? And, and, and very quickly, Lawrence made the point about he thinks it's a better game. What I like, 
I think anti-New Zealand people would say they're just trying to make it quicker, which suits them. Teams like the Highlanders, who don't have the pace wide, have tightened the game up because they're getting pinged if they pick and drive. So they're driving lineouts with a ball in the air and they're very effective with Aaron Smith running it. I mean, have you seen much of this? And, and do you feel we're set for a shift in how the game is officiated? I hope we do see a bit of a shift in that direction. And I, I think there's a tendency for us to move a, a lot slower here. But uh, some of those um, interpretations will come into our game. And so something will have to change. One thing I have been interested in watching is is uh, Warren Gatlin's 0-3 so far in this new Super Tournament, yes. isn't he? I mean, those, mm-hmm. um, those, those, those Kiwi newspapers are going to be calling him out in absolutely no time at all. I, I think they've been, quite, um, they've been quite patient so far for them, haven't they? <laughs> they have. Have you seen much of it, Alex? I mean, the Chiefs haven't got the strongest team on paper and they gave the Crusaders quite a game. They haven't been losing by much. Yeah, they, they were picked, weren't they, by, by a, a drop goal in the first week, I think. Uh, I have watched it. In fact, I was, I was talking to Sean Fitzpatrick last week, who is almost beside himself with excitement about it. He said to me, I never thought I'd love a, match, a game of rugby with the featured 30 penalties. And I have to say, I agreed with him. It's, you know, I think that'll, that'll calm down. We've discussed this on The Rock before. I think that'll calm as, as teams get used to, to, to the breakdown interpretations and, and the new directives. I think it will bleed up to the Northern Hemisphere because that's what World Rugby want. And we'll see the Australian Super Rugby competition starting next weekend. And they have some new law trials as well that the 50-22 kicks, both offensively and, and from their own half, from their own 22 over halfway and and then into the opposition 22. That's designed to create, uh, to, to force defensive teams to have men back, to create more space in the defensive line, drop goal, uh, drop outs from under the posts if, if the defending team hold the ball up over the line, which is designed to reduce the, the time lost to scrums and, and therefore create more ball in play. Everything, all these innovations are designed to create more ball in play time, fewer head-on collisions, which is part of World Rugby's drive for safety, and so, therefore, I think I have enjoyed watching the Super Rugby, partly because it was some live sport, and, and God, we, didn't we didn't we want that? But more so, just the intent of it, as you say, Stuart. And I think we'll see that in the Australian competition, and then when when the Premiership comes back and beyond, I, I hope it it sort of bleeds up into the north as well. And I think that's certainly what World Rugby are after: fewer collisions, not not reducing, not not um, getting rid of collisions or scrums, but just trying to balance it um, for, for, for safety reasons and to, to make it a, a more of a spectacle for television companies who, who they want to buy into these new competitions that the new Super League in, in the autumn that, that World Rugby want to introduce. That has to be attractive as a package, as a product, because that's what they're trying to sell to the broadcasters. Owen, Saracens have been relegated. We've had 20-odd years of English coaches saying... We can't play ambitious rugby because of relegation. It's too big a financial risk. We have to play it safe. We haven't really talked about it that much, but we're coming back to a game on August the 15th. Where one team is already down. Do you think we have an opportunity because of that for the other teams to play more ambitious game than we have seen today? If you throw in what's happening in New Zealand and hopefully the RFU saying, come on, let's speed things up. Is there a real opportunity here? Yeah, completely. I was talking to um, Rob Baxter on Friday about this, the director of rugby at uh, Exeter Chiefs, and and he was say, he was saying just that. He says so if you look at if you look at the Premiership now, 
you've got maybe six teams who, who think they might be able to challenge for top four or, or for or for the title. So so they're going to be going out to try and pick up where they left off uh, before COVID, pick up on a winning streak, don't want to lose games, probably play the same sort of rugby. But he says you've got, you've got the other teams who know they're not going to be relegated. They've got nine games where they, they've got free hits. They can do what they want. They can explore new tactics. They can blood a whole load of new players, uh, uh, young players who they might have felt a bit too uh, conservative about playing them before. They can give them, they can give them nine games of, of, uh, of real experience. And then so, as he was saying, those, those clubs will be, will be or can, if they want, use the rest of this season as a massive preparation for next season so they can drag their game forward, do stuff that they just wouldn't have thought of doing before. So I thought that was really interesting and I can see that I can see what he's saying and it makes sense and that would make the rest of this season really exciting. Lawrence, Owen has just talked about chatting with Rob Baxter. We come down to the sort of a strange end to a season that's going to be remembered obviously for something else. Is this going to be another year for Exeter though at the end of it? Are they going to be crowned the English champions? Or can you see any team beating them? And if not, who can you see putting the biggest challenge to them? Well, I think it's Exeter's uh, definitely been in the box seat. I think um, what's fascinating is when you've we've seen with the football teams that have started restarted the Premiership, when you've been playing uh, and you're in a groove as the teams were, then suddenly you have a three-month layoff and you've got to get things back on track. That's a big pause in play. Which yeah. team is going to start the, restart the season and be able to get back to the levels that they were? There's no, there's no guarantees for any side, but if you look at the structure and the shape and the patterns of the way that Exeter play, I don't think it's that, that hard for them to, because they're, they're very clear about the way that they play, unlike a lot of other teams who I think play a little bit more off the cuff. So I could see Exeter hit, you know, getting back on their groove. Let's not forget that Exeter are alive in both competitions. They've got a home quarter-final in the Champions Cup against uh, Northampton. And I think Exeter are really going to go for Europe this year. I really see them targeting this competition. Obviously, there's some meaty teams left in that, like Toulouse and, and Leinster and Saracens. But I do see Exeter getting to a semi-final of, uh, of, the, of that cup. And I see them challenging, uh, particularly if they're able to get a home semi-final and, uh, and go on to, to play the final in France. Bristol and Sale. Sale are probably the danger team for me in the Premiership at the moment. Uh, they all seem fairly happy with life. They've all taken 25% uh, pay cuts without even batting an eyelid. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they're a team not just for this season, but for the future. Bristol, if they can, if they can get the balance of play right in terms of how much they play in their own 22 and how much they, they play in the opposition 22, then I think they've got a chance. But I have to say, Stuart, that... Um, with Saracens out the picture, I do see this as being an opportunity for Exeter to uh, to probably win a trophy. And they, they've won one Premiership title. They probably feel they should have won a few more. And this is definitely their opportunity for sure. Hey, folks, well, I've tried to get an encore. We've not been given time. So we're part of the Pyramid stage, the rut and the Times, the Sunday Times. Don't forget... Lawrence Delalio, Rugby Works, please donate what you can. It's been a pleasure from all of us. Goodbye. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.